Hey friends, this is Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, and I'm your host, Julia. And on today's show, one of my favorite people from my high school years is here, and we are discussing Moxie. Netflix released Moxie on March 3rd, 2021, and it was met with some serious criticism. It was based on the young adult novel written by Jennifer Mathieu. But before we dive into this discussion, I must introduce you to my guest. Carly Adams is a professional organizer based in Sacramento, California, and the owner of Tidy Revival. She loves nerding out on all things decluttering and organizing. When she's not working, she's probably shopping for houseplants and binging reality TV with her husband. And I have to add that Carly and I have known each other since high school. She's one of my favorite humans to roam this earth, and I am proud to call her my friend. And bonus, I've rendered her Tidy services. I'm going to tell you what, it's fucking life-changing. So definitely look into that if you need that help. Carly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here with you and thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to dive into this because I know you and I talk about these types of things all the time, but this is the first time I've talked about these types of conversations on a podcast. So I'm excited right now. I'm excited that you're bursting that bubble with me. It makes me Mm -hmm. feel like we're bonded even more. Well, yeah. And I feel like it's pretty appropriate because I feel like we've been bursting that bubble since we met. Yeah. Those high school years, man. One so day, good. one day we'll never admit to any of the things we've done. No. <laughs> <laughs> also confession for as long as I've known you, I didn't know that you were part of bachelor nation. How did I miss that? Uh, probably because I don't talk about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> then I just called you out. It's fun. I shouldn't hide it. If I find it's like, if I find out a client's into it, then we're just talking about it in (laughs) sessions. But if, unless somebody, unless I know that they're into it, then I'm like, shh, (laughs) we don't need to talk about it. I mean, the show is like, we all know that it's deeply problematic in so many different ways. So, um, the feminist in me like cries a little bit, but, um, I I'm wildly addicted to it. I have been for years and it started with bachelor in paradise, like their season two or three or something. And then that was it. Now I just watch it all. It's awful. It's Um, wonderful. Also a confession. I like to watch the very first episode of the bachelorette when there's like 25 men yeah vying for one woman and then after that I don't care because then you all just they act a fool and I can't I'm not here for that shit but I love the idea as I've mentioned multiple times on this show yes. of multiple men vying for my love like that is the dream also I would watch that show or just be around for that I'm here yeah. for it thank you the I, point. Appreciate, I appreciate your support okay so let's do a quick summary of moxie really quickly for our friends and listeners at home This summary came from Netflix, everybody, so bear with me. Inspired by her mom's rebellious past and a confident new friend, a shy 16-year-old publishes an anonymous scene calling out sexism at her school. So we're not going to expand any further on that because the discussion's really going to dive into a lot of, a lot more. We're just going to get into it. Yeah, let's go. And as I mentioned before, critics had a lot to say about this movie, and most of it was not positive. The Hollywood Reporter calls this film a wholly plausible and a transparent Gen X fantasy of its cultural relevance to Gen Z. Cosmopolitan ran a review titled, Amy Poehler's Moxie is just another movie about a problematic white teen. IndieWire's review was titled, Moxie Review. Amy Poehler introduces feminist thinking to a generation that might not need it. And NPR's headline was 
Moxie says some things, but not everything about high school feminists. I have to tell you, uh, there's a title, the titles of the articles that I pulled up to talk about this are one from the Phoenix at Swarthmore College, since 1881. Um, Moxie reviewed, I'm not upset, just disappointed. Also the title of a book my parents would write about me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Co-authored by Ed and Anne Marie Washington. And then um, whattowatch.com said intersectional feminist and proud, which is like the most positive review I think I've seen of anything. And I know we're going to get into all of the points, but I like that the verdict for this was like positive, 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 positive. The only against it says, and this was a big issue that I had about it, said, while it's inclusive and diverse, it could have gotten full marks if it had allowed its trans character to be explicitly trans rather than just implying it. Yes. I don't think that's the only issue with it, but we'll get, but that's a big issue of mine. Yeah. We're going to get really into it. We'll dive in big time because what I think another point we need to make about this, like we mentioned earlier, Moxie is based on a book Moxie references the riot girl movement, which is a movement of the 1990s, a movement that I discovered personally in 1998 and held onto a lot of that ideology through most of my high school career. Carly was witness to it. Not just witness. I was like with the, yeah, we were there. We were there (laughs) together. Yes. We will not be sharing pictures because it was (laughs) pre-digital. Sorry. I had to go. And because my eyebrows are so thin and set. (laughs) so cruel the early the late 90s and early aughts I stand by this it was just a cruel time for fashion it was fun though it was fun I had a good time (laughs) this is a movement for those of you listening and aren't familiar with riot girl g three r's l it's very important to note that very This is a movement that started in the Pacific Northwest and was punk and feminism and politics all wrapped up in music. And it was very, very heavily female. In the Cosmo review I referenced earlier, Mia Brabham, I think is how you pronounce her last name, writes, in the process of exploring what a feminist awakening looks like for a white teenager, Vivian's classmate Lucy who is Afro-Latina, is both exploited and ignored by teachers, by peers, and most importantly, by Vivian. Vivian doesn't speak up when Lucy is interrupted by a white male peer after questioning the diversity of the syllabus, and Vivian hangs her head low when she is the only one who witnesses the same white male spit in Lucy's drink after she denies his sexual advances. Vivian even goes so far as to approach Lucy one-on-one in the hallway and tells her to ignore this behavior. That is until they become best of friends after Lucy tells Vivian she won't ignore chauvinistic comments and behavior inspiring feminist ideas in Vivian. Moxie, just another problematic white girl trying to make Gen X cultural phenomenon relevant in today's world? I didn't really think that it was like Gen X trying to be relevant today. I, and that wasn't like any sort of issue I had with it. And I didn't actually pick that up until I started researching and I was like, what? Cause I guess I don't equate riot girl with Gen X, even though I should. Yeah. Yeah. I totally see what you're saying. And I, I just think that there's a lot of amazing things about that movement that still apply today. Mm-hmm. So I don't really think that it's like oh and we're trying to like force this on you you know <laughs> let's not like it doesn't feel like Woodstock in the 90s you know oh what I mean oh my gosh like, like, like we don't have that kind of time yeah yeah but 
Okay, so there's something about the Riot Girl movement that they talk about briefly in the book and briefly in the movie, and that is that it wasn't intersectional enough. Right. It could have been a lot better, probably because it took place in the Pacific Northwest, where it is an overwhelmingly white area. Mm-hmm. And I know you and I talked about this offline. I found it very interesting that the book takes place in, along the Gulf in Texas. In Texas. Yeah. But her mom's, you know, her misspent youth years were Mm -hmm. in like the Portland area and she was in Washington too. But then I, in the, in the book, her father dies and she needs to like move back to her hometown and be near her parents so that she has support. But the whole movie takes place in a small town in Texas. I don't know if it's even worth noting that like the Seth, Seth character in the movie, they've known each other since like kindergarten, but in the book, he's like a new kid, which I mm-hmm. thought was a random weird change. But yeah, but then they took the whole movie and put it in the Pacific Northwest and made the diversity of the set more diverse than the actual diversity of that area, mm-hmm. which I just thought was, it's just, just like, why not set it somebody somewhere else that is more diverse? Like, and then that just leads me into the issue of like, this was obviously a very purposeful attempt at intersectionality, at bringing together all sorts of different genders and sexual identities and all sorts of things, but they still chose to make the entire storyline through the lens of a straight white girl. Mm-hmm. So like, why? After you and I had our original conversation about Moxie, because my initial reaction was like, oh my God, I love this movie. Because also I was the girl getting yelled at and being called, you know, a boy hater and a man hater because I wanted equality. And so that's what stuck out to me, plus the right um, Mm -hmm. movement. But after you and I had this conversation months ago, I was like, Carly's making some really good points. Let's dissect this. Found out it was a book. So we agreed to read the book together in preparation. What I love about the book taking place in Texas, the book portrays the small town, small mind with the layers of mom's a widow. So she moves back home for help because that's Mm -hmm. a huge thing. Solo parenting, especially in like a bigger city like Portland, real hard. Yeah. There's limited diversity in this small town. The football culture, as we know it from Friday Night Lights, told everybody the football culture in Texas is a BFD. The element of her grandparents, because the grandparents, like the mentality of the grandparents when it comes to gender and gender roles, I thought was huge in the book. And we, they removed that for the movie. Yeah, entirely. So especially in contrast with her mom. Mm -hmm. So she's growing up with these small town antiquated behaviors. Her mom got exposure outside of that by living in Portland and then having to move back home and hating it. I identify with that, by the way. (laughs) But Vivian's concept of elsewhere is, is is abstract. She doesn't have that understanding because that's not her experience Mm -hmm. and to make Seth, instead of being a new kid in town in the book, turning him into a longtime friend in the movie removes the elements that Seth and Lucy in the book bring to her, which is, Hey, the world's actually a lot bigger. And all the shit that happens here is kind of bullshit. Yeah. And I found, I don't remember it really coming across as much in the movie, but Lucy was talking a lot about how different her experiences Mm -hmm. were when she was in Houston, Houston. Mm -hmm. um, because they had, you know, what was that? Like a student, it was like advisory a, board yeah. type of thing. 
the shoes on. And she said that like her teachers loved her. The administration loved her. They really valued her opinion. She was a good student. Whereas in this new school, she was just considered trouble and like a problem starter because she spoke up for what she believed in and stood up for herself. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was interesting. Yeah. I agree with you. That's maybe they should have kept Seth's new kid. I think so, because when coming from a small town, I mean, Modesto is a big, small town. I talk about that kind of a lot. And so when you don't have somebody, when all you know is what you know, Mm -hmm. when somebody new comes to town and they teach you about, oh, this is what it's like where I live. It's kind of mind blowing when you're 16, if you don't Mm -hmm. travel a lot. Mm -hmm. And I get the impression that she and her mom probably don't travel a lot. She's a nurse. So she probably is working 12 hour shifts, seven days a week. I don't know. Yeah. And so that self-discovery of what the way that Mitchell Wilson treats us is actually wrong in the book is so much more impactful than in the movie. Cause in the movie, it just feels like, oh, you know, we do all these things and it's bad and football rules, but I don't equate the culture that exists in the Pacific Northwest with the culture that they're trying to represent and sort of speak out against that we see represented in the movie. Yeah. They also change. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just to say, I see, you know, this concept of trying to make it anywhere town, then you shouldn't have said it in the Pacific Northwest. Uh Uh-huh. A hundred percent. Also, they, they changed the principal character too, because in the book it's his dad. So it's, it's, there's a lot of nepotism going on where, you know, Mitchell Wilson can never get in trouble no matter what he does. And they're shocked that he, spoiler alert, if you haven't read the book or watched the movie, but in the end he has rape allegations against him. And like, that's a whole thing. And in the book, you know, they have to like, they basically leave town by the end of it Mm -hmm. and like move away. Mm -hmm. So it felt like he was untouchable for that reason. Like the whole administration was, it was set up so that Mitchell and his friends could do whatever they wanted. There were more of those. There was a little bit of dress code stuff in the movie, but not to the extent that it was in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, And they didn't have like in the book, you know, the guys are wearing gross shirts that really gross shirts, like nice legs. When do they open? Mm -hmm. And something else. I don't know just I a forget lot what of the like, other one was yeah like really gross sexual references um and never got in trouble for it the whole entire football team whereas girls are getting pulled out of class because they are wearing you know tank tops whose straps are too thin and and they go into that like a like in a much bigger detail um that's part of the second call to action for Moxie. You know, the first yeah. call to action is to do the hearts and stars on your hand with the first scene that she produces. The second call to action is in direct response to the dress code violations that the girls, the female students are getting in trouble for, but male students aren't. And in the movie, they make it that character. He's just topless all the time. And to me, I'm like, you're a sports player. Like, not that I'm saying that students should be topless in school. I'm just saying when I drive by the high school after school, when practice is over, they're all topless because they're hot, right? Mm-hmm. After running scrimmage or whatever. So it didn't have the same impact to me as the when I read that in the book, the statements that were on the shirts, it was just like, this is really inappropriate and offensive and not like, oh, I'm a delicate flower. I'm offended, but like, 
this is 2021. The book was printed in 2017, still in 2017, wildly inappropriate. But in the context of a small culture that is pumping money into a football team to keep this sort of ideology alive, it still makes sense regardless of what year it is. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Can we talk a little bit how the side characters were not allowed enough room for development and 100% way better. (laughs) Like I care way more about Claudia's struggle and figuring out her way against her parents. Mm -hmm. than I care about if Vivian is going to have sex or not. And like (laughs) that, that seemed to be like a huge thing, especially in the movie. She's like, and I might have sex. It's like, okay. Like I'm, there's some other bigger fish to fry that you're really part of right now. Yeah. I, I get that that's part of it, but like, you know, your friends might be expelled and you're kind of letting them take the fall for things. But. Yes. Like where's the ownership? So in the book for you listeners, she establishes Moxie, but then doesn't take the leadership role. She leaves it open for it to be led by the group, by whomever is compelled to speak out against the injustice that's happening to the female students publicly. publicly. And in the movie, she's quietly the leader. And even that's part of the whole premise of the essay, writing the essay um, for colleges Mm. applications. That to me was just like, why did you throw that in there? Because they made that a thing, right? Like when, when Lucy potentially could be the one who gets to claim that she, or um, not Lucy, when, when Claudia could potentially be the one who claims that she started Moxie in her essay, college essay. And then like Vivian kind of bristles at that thought because, you know, she started Moxie. That's not the tone in the book. Vivian's constantly stating in the book, this isn't mine. This is ours. Oh, I thought that she, I felt like she was bristling at that just because she was nervous for Claudia specifically about her parents' reaction. Oh, okay. I took it a different way. Yeah. I I took it as, you know, like, she's like, she's going to be fine. Like her parents will get over it. She's going to have a great college essay. I took it as like, don't tell, like you just got here, Lucy, you don't know how her parents are. I know how her parents are. But the thing is that kind of doesn't even match it up either because, you know, when she like goes to see Claudia and see how she is, Claudia is like, no, I'm not okay. And you don't get it. And it's like, wait, what do you mean? I don't get it. So it's almost like, she's like, you don't know. Cause I do. Cause I know Claudia. Wait, I don't. What, what's happening. <laughs> and I was like, it felt like a really big moment that Claudia was trying to finally tell her friend who she's been friends with since they were like babies mm-hmm. and explain to her how her life is different because she's not white and she has immigrant parents and she has different expectations at home than, you know, Vivian does. And it was really interesting because it's like, it felt like that was a very big moment for Claudia to try and explain that. And Vivian's like, oh, okay. And then it's like, that's it. The moment of understanding, I guess we're done now. Cause I told you that one time. And it's a lifelong struggle. You and I have talked about this offline for many, many years, you know, especially because, you know, we both have a non-white parent where you're like, people don't understand what it's like when you I'm going to go with, I'm going to leave with biracial, but other things too, like in the instance of Claudia, the expectations, everything that you outlined 
for her and Vivian to be friends for as long as they have, it makes sense to me for Vivian to still not fully understand Claudia's struggles. Because I feel like I can't speak for you. I'm only gonna speak for me because I feel like I'm always in that situation. Friends for a decade and they still, I still can't fully help them understand what it's like to be in my shoes and sometimes don't want to broach those conversations unless something happens. Then it's like, well, shit, now we have to talk about it. Now I have to tell you why I'm upset. Now I have to tell you why this is problematic. But so that was my issue. It's just, it's your very, very best friend. This is the first time this has ever come up in your friendship. I was just, I found that slightly hard to believe. Okay. But even if it had, even if this was just boiling under the surface for Claudia and she finally expresses it for Vivian to just like take it that one time. And then, you know, it did just like kind of never comes up again, even in the movie. Like it just felt like it wasn't enough of an acknowledgement. It wasn't really like a listening and learning. It was more of like a listening, giving a slight nod and moving on. Yeah. Cause they could have done something at the end at the walkout scene to sort of resolve that a little bit better. And I'm always talking about how pop culture and movies and television give us the language we didn't know we had. And that's a missed opportunity to sort of help students and kids and teenagers who don't know how to say, this is why this is hard for me. And I need you to understand like that was a missed opportunity. Totally. Okay. Since we brought this up, I'm going to get into it right now. The CJ character, my, this was probably I had many issues with it, but this was my biggest one. CJ's character, they never use the word trans in the entire movie. You're Ever. right. They never do. So at the beginning, when they're, the girls are at the party and then they're kind of like commiserating with the different things, CJ, CJ has like three lines in this entire movie. Right. Um, also, she is cute as a button. Mm-hmm. And I was very proud of the folks who made the movie for hiring a trans actress. I thought that was fantastic. Anyway, so she said, you know, people are griping about the different things. And she says, yeah, people don't even use my new name. Like, or, you know, people aren't using my new name. And they said, oh, seriously, not even teachers. And she's like, yeah. And I want to audition for Audrey and Little Shop of Horrors. And everyone is upset by this. And that's how she puts it. The thing is, I felt like those lines if you're not familiar with trans issues, if you don't know trans people, I felt like those lines were so short and so I felt like they could mentally be swept under the rug. Mm -hmm. If you weren't like, if it wasn't like a, not a trigger word, but you know, if like that didn't pop up for you, you're not familiar with the language. If you don't know someone who's had a new name, if that's not something that you and your, your friends, your family have gone through that might not be something that registers as a thing. And it might just be like, what? Well, anyway, and like move on. Yeah, it didn't, I didn't pick up on that, all of that, right? The first time. And then the second time I'm watching it, I was like, because admittedly back in March, I was still learning more about the trans community and the hurdles that, that the trans community faces. So in March, when I watched it, I'm still in like this infancy. The second time around, it was like, oh, there it is. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> completely completely and it's definitely a community that I feel um more comfortable with and like have been you know doing lots of different work with you know for a year so I think that's why it pissed me off even more because 
for people who are maybe watching this and this is the first time that they would be ever introduced to a trans character, mm -hmm. if it's not specifically stated, if they miss it because you didn't say it and because you didn't make it a bigger deal, it almost felt like they didn't say it so that they didn't have to rock the boat enough. Sure. sure. It, it felt like they weren't proud of having a trans character. Honestly, yeah. that's, I felt like as a viewer, that's how it came across. Yeah. Like just say it. And, stop beating around the bush. And that's one of those subplot characters that could have developed more because the idea, again, the theater stuff, you know, she, she wants to audition for Audrey. This is a backwards town, well, in the Pacific Northwest. But if it had stayed in Texas, that could have been a really interesting avenue to explore as one of the sub storylines. Exactly. And instead, her audition was part of a montage mm -hmm. and that's it. And, and, and then, the teachers are looking very happy with the way she's auditioning. And I'm thinking, no, I'm, I'm going to go with, I think that if the teachers are refusing to use your new name, they're probably still not thrilled that you're auditioning for this role. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then nothing. And I'm pretty sure like that besides like, Hey, yeah. Like yeah. that's the end of CJ's lines. Um, I just felt like if you're going to go there, then freaking go there. Yeah. Don't stop. Like I felt, I felt, I found that very annoying. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of like highlights too, of things that, you know, black women say have been saying for years that, you know, they, I felt like they kind of plucked out, right? Like don't touch our hair. Don't touch our butts. We're always being whatever. Like these are things that are issues for us when we move into the major dominant culture. So it was like, like we're going to pull the headlines. We're going to pop plop in the headlines, but we're not going to get deep on anything. At the course saw the end of the movie with me. And, um, you know, it's like at the rally and like everyone's sharing, they did have that character who got up just to like defend herself. Where has she been this entire movie? Right. What is your name? Who are you? Yes. Why did you not have more? Like that is a person who I want to know where she started from. Is this the moment where she felt compelled to share? I don't know. I've never seen you before. Right. You deserved more lines. Chances are you probably had them and they were cut. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Vivian's face at the end, like Corey and I were just laughing. Like she was kind of like, I did this. Everything's <laughs> fixed now. Now we're good. Don't worry, guys. I it's saved done. it. I saved Racism's it. Racism's over. <laughs> So is homophobia. You're welcome. That's a really good segue to move into our next topic. Early on in the book, there is a reference to this band, Heavens to Betsy, which is the band Corinne Tucker left Sleater Kinney for. Bikini Kill's song Rebel Girl is a large part of the backbone of the book and is referenced a few times in the movie. The Riot Girl scene was very much white and Amy Poehler's character acknowledges its lack of intersectionality briefly in the film. Moxie has been accused of tokenism and the white savior trope. In the earlier referenced review by NPR, writer Linda Holmes had this to say. Moxie also tries to tell the story about feminism more broadly, Polar plays Vivian's mom, Lisa, as a one-time 90s riot girl who knows that her own feminism wasn't intersectional enough. The film answers this to a degree with the fact that, Mox that the Moxie Club is a lot 
more inclusive than Lisa's circles sound like they were. It includes students of color and a girl who is in a wheelchair, though her role is very small, and a girl who's transgender played briefly but memorably by the wonderful Josie Tota. And I apologize if I pronounce the last name wrong. I have not actually heard any interviews where she's been introduced, so I'm not familiar with how to pronounce her last name. The feminist movement is predominantly white since its inception and only recently has this openly been discussed without bristle and discomfort, though these things still happen in certain groups. Holmes states this film answers this to a degree. So I have to call this into question. What, like, let's talk about, we've briefly already talked about representation and its attempts to address feminism, but I kind of, let's get into it more. Um, To your point about Vivian's face at the end, like, I did this. This is mine. I'm so good. To me, it felt like they were like, oh, this is a book about white people in Texas with reference to Lucy Hernandez. That's her actual name in the book as well. Seth's last name in the book is Acosta. And we late, we learn his parents, Zoe and Alejandro. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe Seth is biracial based on that. Zoe's kind of one of those names that could be in any group. And so it felt like they just sort of like plucked characters from the book and were like, okay, that one's going to be black. That one's going to be in a wheelchair. That one should be trans. That one's going to be Latino. We need, we need a chubby girl over here. Like it didn't feel like there was consideration for the actual intersectionality. And they were just like, let's have diversity for diversity's sake. Also in the book, they talk about it a lot more about how as they reached like middle school, high school, that groups ended up being more segregated. Mm -hmm. And they really dig into that. And they talk about how, um, you know, there's like the Latina girls who speak Spanish, the Latina girls who don't speak Spanish. There's like the black students, there's, you know, all these like different, different groups. It just felt like it was more addressed in the book and in the movie, it was definitely more of like a casting choice for 2021 or 2020, you know? Yeah, I really appreciated the scene in the book where Kiera, where Vivian full on admits that she and Kiera were friends up until middle school. Like that whole scene when they run into each other in the bathroom that is described in the book, I thought was really important because a lot, you know, the accusation of the white savior, the accusation of tokenism, I feel like the book isn't that because she is becoming self-aware of all of these little things that are, that have happened and are continuing to happen. And she's acknowledging it. And she's thinking, well, we have to like, what's my, I, I felt like she was coming at it with what's my role in this. And that's what made Moxie not having a leader in the book so much more powerful because she wasn't trying to save anybody. Yeah. Whereas in it, in the book, it came across as this is for everyone. It's not just about me. Whereas in the book or in the movie, she came across more as a coward who wasn't, who was too afraid to do anything publicly that she only just got pissed in private and then let other people who were POCs, like take the fall and, you know, and, and stand up for things publicly because she was like too chicken shit too. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I, I honestly felt like if they had taken less time in the movie to explore her and Seth's relationship so much and had taken more of that thoughtfulness into taking some of those, the feelings from the book and putting them in the movie instead, that it would have been better. 
overall. I agree. I agree. Because that whole funeral scene date in the movie just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, it's cute, but like, okay. If, if the book's about, like, that's the other thing too. Like, if the book's about ultimately about feminism, why is it so much about the A making out and the, am I going to have sex with this person and all of that? It just felt like it wasn't really as important as the message about bringing people together. <laughs> right. This isn't a teenage high school rom-com. Yeah. Yeah. Like what's the point here? Let's find mm-hmm. the point and let's dig into it. I, I do love the actor that played Seth. I thought that he was really, I forget his name off the top of my head. I'll have to look at it. I thought that he did a really good job at playing that role. The part that was hard for me once reading the book, knowing that he came from Austin Mm-hmm. And so when the accusation of rape comes up and they have that fight in the book about it, where mm-hmm. he's like, um, I forget specifically what he says, but he's basically like, call, you know, just sort of doubting the accusation, which is yeah, typical. Like, well, yeah. Like that's yeah. a big accusation. It could really ruin someone's life. Yes. And so in the book, Vivian's like, uh, that ruins her life. And so they have, I felt like Nico Hiraga, is that how you would say it? Hiraga? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nico Hiraga plays Seth and he's just adorable. Oh, so cute. And and just the way that he would like look at her and stuff. I was just like, you guys are adorable. But also this isn't a rom-com. <laughs> As Carly has pointed out. It was a really cute relationship. They had a bunch of cute scenes. I I, I loved the funeral date. I thought it was just precious and adorable. But that said... If you're trying to tie everything up in a bow, there's a lot of shit you left out for the sake of getting all this teen romance in. Right. And that wasn't supposed to be the point. So if it's like, it's a timing thing, yeah. then like, it's it's really about prioritizing. And I feel like they prioritize wrong. I'm usually I, not that critical of movies. There's <laughs> so many movies that are absolute pieces of garbage. I've been told by friends that I love <laughs> garbage movies but this movie it pissed me off I feel like that's fine I feel like that's fair because the fight in the book between Seth and Vivian about the accusation I feel like is the way that that fight happens all the time when a woman steps up and makes an accusation and then the way that they fight about it in the movie felt like she was just being a self-righteous human you know, yeah. like it didn't, it wasn't coming from a place of like, how am I, how do I try How do I say this? It's because I, I haven't explored my own emotions fully with stuff like this either, because it's scary to think about, but it, I just reading the scene in the book just felt like this is a conversation I've had with people when somebody steps up. When we're yeah. observers of somebody stepping up this conversation yeah. at a 16 year old level feels like how 16 year olds would fight about this because the guy's coming from the perspective of like, what if somebody accuses me that's scary. Mm -hmm. And then the girl's coming from the perspective of like, I don't want my life fucked up because of this. Mm -hmm. And well, and so I guess they're both, that's the same perspective, I guess, but different angles. Yeah. And in the movie, it didn't feel like that. It just felt like she didn't know how to add, not advocate she didn't know how to, ex- I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know. It would just, it was a miss. I don't know how to further explain it, but to me, it, it didn't feel as 
I hate to use the word authentic because we use that word for everything. But I mean, that's accurate. Yeah. It's an accurate word choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. The scene. Um, and I'm totally blanking because there were only, there were only a few fight scenes in here, but um, was that the same scene where she like blew up at the dinner table with her mom's boyfriend and all that? I think. Oh. Yeah. I think that uh, came a little after that came, that came across as really just like a, um, you know, when you're 16 and you just have so many hormones just mm-hmm. coursing through, and you don't know how to use your words. So instead you just blow up. It, it had that feeling, but it didn't feel as constructive as it could have been. Yeah. I also hate that they made it, that they brought her dad back to life and just wasn't in the picture. Oh yeah. And also it wasn't in the picture. And then she doesn't really reference him until kind of that moment where she's just really upset about this, 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 this. And why doesn't dad want to see me at Christmas? And then he's never mentioned again. So you're like, okay, so wait, is this just like actual parental issues, which fair enough, but why have we never heard of him till now? Why do we never hear of him again? Like, yeah. let's just, let's just rein it in guys. They made, she makes an earlier reference. That's really quick. And I didn't catch it the first time I caught it the second time where she makes a comment about her dad's wedding. And so, but it's really fast. It's really, really fast. And Uh so for me, the mom being a widow still in love with her husband, trying to navigate dating somebody in Texas was so compelling, even though it's a sub thing, then her being I don't know. We don't know what she left. We don't know. We don't know what, what the demise was. We have no idea. And then that bit about like, oh, you know, he's like, hello, Mrs. Carter. Nope. That's not my last name. Sorry. That's not my last name. I went back to my name and that just felt super pretentious to me. And it it was right. It was kind of like, "Mm, nope, wrong. It's like, okay, why don't you just tell him your last name or it's not that big of a deal. You don't need to make a point about it. You don't need to be rude about it. Like, yeah, correct. Because so in my life, you know, my parents are still married. Okay. And so that whole concept of divorced parent isn't a thing for me. So when my parent, when I have friends who's are, who are divorced and their mom still have the last name that they were given at birth, that my friends were given at birth, it's not weird to me because a lot of those moms, and I actually had one very specifically say to me when she got, because I was older when she got divorced and I was like, Oh, are you going to go back to your maiden name? And she said, no, my children's last name is this. My last name will stay this, even though he did all of these terrible things to me. And I would love to be rid of him. My children have this name. I will have this name. And that stuck with me. And so I just, so when I see that sort of representation of like, Nope, Nope, sorry. Nope. That kind of tone, it just kind of makes me feel like I don't know. I'm not comfortable with it. There was just no need to be that rude. Yeah. There was no need for it. And on the other hand, there are on the other side of that, I have some friends, moms who were like, that man was awful to me. We are done. I do not need a reminder. I'm going to go back to my maiden name. Personally, I hear all these horror stories about what you have to do to change your last name. So I don't know why we bother anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say it was, I don't even care that she decided to have her last name, like, sure. Have your last name, change your, do whatever you want. It's your name. It's your decision. Just don't be rude about it. Yeah. There was just kids being polite. She's just trying to make whatever. Yeah. All you have to say is like, oh, I'm my last name is actually so-and-so 
And it's so intimidating to meet your teenage partner's parents for the first time. Uh, like that's thanks already, for the ice cream like, I bought yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> they made me give it to you right now. It's weird. Yeah, they're trying to be polite. It just made me, that just rubbed me the wrong way, the whole thing. And I don't know if it's because I have teenager and I'm just like, here are the things that I would like for his friends. Like I expect them to be polite. 90% of them are, you know, but it's just like, but I'm not gonna be a dick to them. <laughs> well, if he brought someone home for you to meet, you're, there's no, there's just no need to be rude. Yeah. Amen. I'm going to completely change the subject real quick. I'm here for it. I want to tell you how excited I was to see Lauren Sai, who played Claudia in this movie. I mentioned this a little bit offline to you, but over quarantine. Okay. So Corey and I had been really wanting to go to Japan. That was like the next big trip on our list. That was our going to be our fall 2020 trip. Didn't happen. <laughs> it's fine. It's 2020 fine. plans. <laughs> no, not so much. Instead, what we did was just binge all sorts of Japanese content over quarantine. Lots of it. Yeah. Right down a rabbit hole. And one of the shows we watched, which was amazing, is called Terrace House. And I'm not going to dig too much into it, but there's like three or four seasons on Netflix. Highly recommend. It will take you down another algorithm rabbit hole. Go down it. <laughs> if you like subtitles, just go on down that rabbit hole. It's fun. Um, but Lauren Tsai was on one of the seasons of Terrace House. It took place in Hawaii and, um, a lot of the characters were either, um, American, um, or from Japan. It was like kind of half and half. Um, but I believe one of her parents is American and one of her parents is Japanese. I'm completely remembering this from watching on the show on Terrace House where she, but a reality show. Oh, so Lauren Sai, the person was on Terrace House as Lauren Sai, the person. Yeah. And talking about how she like really wants to be an actress and that's her dream and you know, all these things. So when Moxie came out, I was like, Lauren Sai. And she was so good. She was so good. This is a really big break for her because Terrace House, I want to say Hawaii was like the second to last season before COVID. Okay. So. I mean, it wasn't that long ago and she's in her, she was in her early twenties. She's probably about 24 ish now. Um, she's cute as a button, sweet, shy, adorable. She did great. I'm so happy for her. She was so, I would never know. Cause you know, some reality TV people, when they try to transition into acting, they don't got it. Yeah. Well, hers was like an aspiring actress going into a reality TV show. Gotcha. Well, there's those two where you see them in something. You're just like, nope. Yeah, she did great. I, that makes me so happy for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just personally happy for her. Um, Wait, so she's biracial? Mm-hmm. I. All right, Team Mixed Girl, get it. Yeah. I'm all about representing that Team Mixed Girl. I don't care what your mixed is. You're mixed? Yeah. Welcome to the club, sister. It's a fun club. It's yeah. a real fun club. We're real fun. And we don't drink, um, what's that shit? Boone's Farm anymore. So <laughs> never did, Julia. No, never did. Never did. Just, you know, just, just, we watched, we heard about it on the radio or something. I'm very deeply emotional this year because my son is a senior. As you know, you've known him since he was a egg in my body. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I think that 
when, well, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, but when I watch high school stuff, I'm really emotional. And then as he's experiencing, we're on campus now this year, which I'm grateful for, but also very terrified. Thank God he's vaccinated. I, I think that I respond differently than I would if some, if like, if this had come out five years ago, I probably would be in immediately in your camp of like, mm, I've got problems. But my first initial response was high school, the nostalgia. Oh my God. Somebody knows who bikini kill is <laughs> like other people know who bikini kill is. So I was in this cloud of, of, I don't want to call it sadness because it's not sadness, but I definitely am reliving that the high school, the positive high school feelings through my kid right now, now that he's literally going to graduate 20 years after I graduated. So that's an, it's like an extra level of emo happening. I'm going to have to start wearing dark eyeliner again. (laughs) Do it and get the bangs that just go right in your face. I don't, did I, I don't think I did that. Did you do that? No, 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 I didn't think you did. No, I missed it. I was more of the short bang, you know, I liked them short. Remember they were real cute. Mm -hmm. Because I was really pretty back then. You're really pretty always, dude. So are you. I want to go back to the IndieWire's review because the headline, for, let's let's recap the headline. Let's restate the headline for people because I don't remember what it was and it's only been like 20 minutes. Their headline was Moxie Review, Amy Poehler introduces feminist thinking to a generation that might not need it. Okay. So to me, this headline suggests that maybe this movie isn't for Gen Z, but rather a reminder for those from Gen X. And then when I read the article, this line by writer Cater Earbland stuck with me. Mostly, it may prove to be enlightening to older generations who don't remember what it felt like to be young and suddenly clued into the ways of the world. For its target demo of teenage audiences, it will be less revelatory. So I feel like we were pretty clued in when we were in high school. You know, as we mentioned earlier, we were definitely into that riot girl movement, but it also didn't really fully, like I didn't fully grasp that there was lack of diversity in the punk scene until I got older. Mm-hmm. And because Modesto back then and now is still pr- a pretty white community. So in this concept of like anywhere town, but really the Pacific Northwest, the idea that this movie is supposed to represent that anywhere town, this type of naivete still exists in my opinion, in my experience of living in Modesto for 37 years. So could it be argued that this movie is still trying to speak to current teenage girls, but specifically like instead of all teenage girls, maybe it's trying to talk to white teenage girls who live in small town anywhere USA. I think that there's a good chance that it could. I mean, I think that it seems like the kids these days are <laughs> so much more tapped in and like know what's going on and feel empowered to speak up and speak their mind, give their opinions and have thoughtful conversations about things than I feel like I was at that age. But I'm a 38-year-old woman who doesn't have children. So, and we didn't talk about all that stuff. Like it wasn't at our fingertips in the way that it is now. Exactly. Because now people are really able to get and absorb the opinions of so many other people. Like, I mean, like I'm on Reddit uh, for just different things sometimes. And a lot of people like posting on there are teens, which are things that I just try not to like get involved with, but it's kind of wild to me because I'm like, 
okay, so teens can be in there in a fitness community, but they could also be out there asking any questions they mm-hmm. want in life. Whereas like, I don't feel, I mean, no, I know that when I was that age, I didn't have access to the unbridled opinions of adults. Mm-hmm. It would be a very big deal if I was having a frank conversation with an adult about anything. Yeah. Um, you know, anything more than like, what's going on? Like, how's, how's school going? Where are you going to go to college? I don't know yet. That's nice. Moving on. (laughs) Like, that's it. No, that's it. So, um, I just think that, that teens these days have so much more access to actual unfiltered opinions from adults and getting advice for them, whether they be strangers on the internet or, or just seeing, you know, what's out there. There's just more information at their fingertips. That being said, because my experience is my own, I can't really, I can't, I can't speak to the experiences of all of the teens in America, but um, <laughs> like, like, I know what's going on, but I, I can only imagine that there's still a lot of teens who are not clued in at all. So I think about like, yeah, you know, we're in California and we have, you know, people assume California, <laughs> people assume California, people assume a lot about California, but you know, in the suburbs, if you want to call them that, of Modesto, some of these towns, the things that happen, I'm just like, I'm sorry, what century is this? <laughs> and it's shocking to me because I feel like the internet has opened up this world, whereas, you know, 16-year-old me knew, like Vivian, abstractly, there's a bigger world out there. There's other things out there. I knew I wanted to experience that. I knew I wanted to get out there and be a part of it. Didn't happen. And then that sort of kind of still happens. And I can't, I'm, I, I'm speaking as an outsider watching a teenager go through high school, but sometimes my son will come home and say things. And I'm just like, that still happens. Mm. That's still happening. Like the dress code thing still Mm -hmm. happening. I will say that I know that I have been, um, I know that what I'm going to say next means I'm a very fortunate person, but a lot of the racism that I've experienced in my life is people not realizing I'm half Latina and then just saying shit to me. <laughs> I'm not laughing because uh, it's funny. I'm laughing because yeah, girl, same. And because yeah. I'm black and we've talked mm-hmm. about that offline. Mm-hmm. We have people who make assumptions about us based on our appearance. And then they show colors that they probably wouldn't have if we looked monoracial. Yeah. And then you, um, and then you have to just let them know like, Hey, you know what? I am who you're talking about. Mm-hmm right? Oh, wait, what? Yeah. Like that's happened so much. So yeah. I, yeah, it's stupid. It is stupid. <laughs> and also I feel like we're both really pretty. And I've said this before on the show about myself, but there's a level of protection when you're really pretty. <laughs> I feel like that's a whole other a whole conversation, other, mm-hmm. but you're not wrong. Yeah. I was having this conversation with a friend and, um, they were like, we were just talking about like traditional beauty standards and how some things are easier for some people. And it's just a no, whole, it's a whole other topic of fucked right. upness right. that exists in life. Totally. Um, but yeah, but maybe in some ways it makes it easier to stand up for yourself. You know, I, there's, I think there's a lot of things that potentially could have turned really bad, but because I was 
pretty and fit and charming and I could turn that charm on to get out of that situation, it worked. But if I was darker, would that the outcome have been the same? Like I ask these things of myself all the time. And I think that's sometimes the conflict with being um, a a biracial or a multiracial person is that you're, it's a daily dose of what kind of shit am I going to get today? Yeah. Because what kind of shit am I not going to get? Because I don't look more like my parents. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that fucks with you. Like, you know, when I was in Arizona and they do random border checks and they just glance at you and go, 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 go. Don't even check. You're like, would you do that to my dad? Right. I want to talk a bit specifically about Vivian's relationship with Claudia and how Lucy affects this. So Mm -hmm. for our friends listening, Vivian and Claudia, as we mentioned, have been friends since early primary school, if not earlier. Yeah. In the film, Claudia is of Asian descent and is struggling with Vivian's newfound assertiveness, not because she doesn't believe in feminism, but because she's 16 with strict non-white parents. And the complexities that exist for Claudia and Lucy don't exist for Vivian. So I think we should speculate a little bit on what the writers could have done to highlight this better through the relationships that exist between these three characters, because Lucy is Afro-Latino. Claudia says that line, you don't get it because you're not white. Like there's so many avenues that we could have really focused on. The writers could have, for me specifically, that first scene when Mitchell comes up to Lucy and it's just like, when he first sees her and it's just like really gross towards her and just mean and awful to me that felt racially charged did you feel like that scene you're talking about in the cafeteria right in the classroom oh oh when they oh. first meet yeah i felt like that was racially charged too and there's no discussion on that beyond it uh-huh and in one of the one of the articles they say that like um he he spits in her drink because she's rejecting his sexual advances. Mm -hmm. I didn't see those as sexual advances. I saw them as creepy and racist. Same. I saw them as aggressive, dangerous, and racially motivated. Yes. Same. And so it, 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 this, after reading the book and then watching the movie the second time, I was like, why aren't you tying that in? Because this doesn't feel like it's because Mitchell wants to bang Lucy to be grotesque tesk about it it feels like he's attacking her because she's a black woman yeah that's that's the vibe that I was getting as well okay I'm glad I'm not alone in that <laughs> no I, I was really surprised to see that they wrote that they're like oh he she's rejecting his advances I was like advances what like to it everything he was saying seemed just like weird and creepy and I'm like at a loss for like the right word, right word. like, like there's violence under the surface. Yes. And, and Lucy does call that out in the movie later on. And I'm really glad that they put that in there because so often we brush under the rug, that type of behavior. And it's passed off as like, Oh, it's harmless. That's just hold your, keep your head down. Don't, don't antagonize them. A number one, it's not my responsibility for you to control yourself around me. I can't, that's not my responsibility. Don't put that on me. That's, that's fucked up Two, Like Lucy called it. This is 
this, if it's not already dangerous behavior, it's the start of dangerous behavior. And as we learn later on, both in the book and the movie, he is a harmful person. Yeah. Yeah. And in the book, it's attempted rape. And in the movie, he rapes somebody. That's the one person who comes forward. Yeah. You know, I did love that in the book, there was more boldness about calling out the action, right? The flyer comes out. Nobody knows who puts out the flyer about this calling for this walkout. So for those of you listening, Moxie, the zine has these calls to action for Moxie girls. And so the, towards the end of the book, this flyer gets circulated. It's taped to the front of the school and it's like, it, hold on. I marked it. One of the things I actually like about the printed book is that they put the zine in there just like how she would have designed it. Yeah. Oh, that's my bad for getting the audio book. So the flyer in the book says Moxie walkout this Friday at the attendance bell. I am tired of being silent. Mitchell Wilson tried to rape me at a party. I won't be quiet anymore. Principal Wilson and the administration of ERHS refuse to listen to me. If you support this walkout, you support all girls, you support a movement, that refuses to tolerate violence against girls, which is part of what started the um, fight between um, Seth and Vivian. But I thought that was way more impactful than just a note in the bathroom saying this thing happened. Because it's like Moxie has given the girls of East Rock, Rock, East Rockport. Ridge, East Rockport High School the confidence and the ability to now say, I have been harmed and I'm not standing for it anymore. And I know that I'm not going to be alone. Yes. I know that like, I'm putting this out there because I know that I won't be alone when I do this walkout. I know you have my back is what that, that's what it came across as to me. Yes. And that's huge because it's so scary to come out and say, this is what happened to me because immediately you're going to get discredited and people are going to call into question your character and the believability and, and sadly the way you dress and the way you behave with other people. When that part hit in the book, I was like, yes, girl, let's get you the help. Let's show, we're going to stand up and show up for her. But in the movie, it felt very passive and it didn't highlight the strength that Moxie truly had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel, I feel like there was more momentum too leading up to the walkout. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It felt, in the book it, or in the movie? In the book. Mm-hmm. In the movie, it felt like the beginning was too long. And yeah. then so much happened in like the last like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Whereas like there was way too much fluff over here. Yeah. I don't know. I know I'm just being critical of like the way they made the movie now, but. No, I, I think that, I think that if you're going to try and add a narrative to the conversation of feminism, especially for teen girls, it needs to be examined deeply because how, how often think Carly, think about how many times I post about all the movies that came out when I was in high school that I still latch onto and still hold as fucking like, that's my romance. Like that's my Bible. That's my life Bible because Kat Stratford didn't put up with shit. So I'm not putting up with shit. (laughs) How old were you when you realized that, um, the character from, oh my gosh, why am I from 16 candles? What is it? Ryan, the, Jake Ryan, the, Jake Ryan. 
how old were you when you realized that he is not hot and not someone that you should be with, but he's actually like a dangerous person who just passes 32. That's a little (laughs) too late because I'm what, you know, I'm like, Oh my God, I love this. And we're, I'm showing it to the child. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, John Hughes is the best. John Hughes. Yes. He's the best, but also maybe he's a little problematic. He's a little problematic. Don't hold up. And it's horrifying. The girlfriend, his girlfriend that he ditches with Anthony Michael Hall. And then she has like that. She's passed out. Why don't you take her home? Yeah. I want to try and get with this girl. Yeah. And then the next day she's like, did we? And he's like, yeah, I think he says, yeah. The point is, is you shouldn't be trying to hook up with somebody who's not going to remember it the next day. Like that's not okay. But again, that's canon. That is teen movie canon because we've been watching it since what, 1984, 1986? Mm-hmm. And it's influenced generations. So mm-hmm. to tie it back to your statement of you being like, I'm sorry for, be- or I shouldn't be so critical. Yes, we need to be critical because what comes out now in 30 or 40 years will be canon to the next generation. And we need to constantly move forward. And if you're not helping move forward, then get out of the fucking way. The end. <laughs> you know, there wasn't a lot of diversity in the punk scene, right? Yeah. And and like, even when we travel up to like Northern California or head to the Bay, still not a lot of representation in the punk scene. I love, like punk music is so defining of our adolescence mm. that, I just desperately want a story told by a black punk girl so badly because I can't be the only one. Can I like, where are you? There's gotta be others. I can't be the only black girl who is like punk fucking rock bitches. Like there have got to be others. Yeah. I mean, I want to, I want to watch that story. Hell yeah. She'll have a really good friend named Carlita. Ooh, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. Anyway, back to Lucy and, and, um, Claudia, I do, I do think that it was a disservice to not expand more on their storylines because it is so that's still a narrative immigrant parents, a lot of the pressure, like they're 18 year olds today, still dealing with that. Like that's never going to stop. Yeah. And the thing is, even in, um, you know, in the movie, you don't even really see a lot of her parents. It's just like, you know, her going to the door and the mom being like, no, like, (laughs) I was like, yes, mom, you defend your girl. (laughs) I know. And, and, um, yeah, that's just, it's not a story. I think it was in the book too. Like she wasn't getting in trouble until recently, or I don't know. No, actually I take it back. That was Lucy's grandma. Mm -hmm. That was in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Lucy should have had more of a storyline in the movie. Claudia should have had more of a storyline in the movie for a movie that wanted to desperately come across as one of the most progressive, intersectional, diverse casts you've ever seen. They really fell short of actually giving people lines and storylines. And it it's like they, they were trying and then just fell super flat. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they were trying, but they weren't really asking the opinions of the right people. Like I'd love to see who was in that writer's room and like 
what outside opinions like what other opinions were you getting were you just so insular yeah Mm -hmm. I did read an article about I I forget who specifically I don't know if it was Amy Poehler specifically or one of the writers had made a comment about how you know they are coming from a white experience so you know that's a lot of what's happening and when I read that I thought that's when you call your friends who are also writers in Hollywood who aren't white to be like can you consult maybe just don't just have all white writers when you're specifically trying to tell a story mm-hmm. that includes the voices of others. Yes, I agree with you. Especially when one of our criticisms is that you're like over here and you're over here mm-hmm. and you're over here. Like spend that time where you weren't focused um, bringing in other people's storylines to a better degree mm-hmm. and or developing your points better. Like do what you came here to do. Yeah, because I think the book, the book, I think the book did it beautifully for what it could do. You know, it's yeah. it's giving you complexities within Vivian because she's you know she's learning so much and you're learning with her, and then you get more of Lucy in the book. I don't think Claudia was written as a person of color character in the book. That's not how it read to me. I can't, I want to say. I don't remember any specific types of references, you know? Yeah, I feel like they did once, but I can't remember if I'm remembering that she was mentioned as like, I don't know. I think, I think she might've been white in the movie. I mean, in the book. In the book. I think, I think. Anyway. (sighs) Yeah, Yeah. it was good. I wanted to love it. I wanted to love it more. I have a lot of criticisms with it. I think you voiced a lot of those today and I'm here for it. Thanks, girl. Thanks for uh, giving me a place to vent for over an hour about Moxie. I love it. The idea of feminism is so scary to people, which doesn't make sense to me because in grad school, we studied feminism literary theory. And I understand this theory to be the combination of elements from psychoanalysis, Marxism, post-structuralism, and deconstruction. Yeah. To question the role of gender in the writing, interpretation, and circulation of literary texts. Like that's the point of feminist feminism literary theory, in my understanding from graduate school. Meaning we look at the ways in which literature reinforces or undermines the representation of women. But in my grad school career, that really wasn't part of the conversation. Like we didn't have much discussion about this, this theory and the effects of non-white women. And so to have a book that is so different in what I've read when it comes to white women trying to be woke (laughs) and it actually walks her through the process and she's not entitled or pretentious or a savior in it. I, I didn't read her to be a savior in the book. It just kind of bums me out. Do I love that they talked about Bikini Kill? Yes. Also, do better by literary theory, feminism literary theory. Yeah. Just be better. Yeah. (laughs) That'll be the title. Be better. Is it too much to ask? (laughs) Maybe. Any last thoughts about this uh, moxie that you need to get to the airwaves? Thanks for letting me vent about it. I, I know I mentioned it to you, but I had read, I was so like annoyed that I 
Googled something to the effect of like Moxie disappointed trans character, like just like Googling. I'm like, what's coming up? And I found this amazing uh, medium article that I cannot for the life of me find um, that was just beautifully stated. And it was basically my opinion and somebody just wrote it down and I was like, thank you. And then, um, and then I found that girl on Instagram and messaged her and thanked her for her article. But, um, but yeah, I was really, when we ended up talking about it a couple months ago, it made me really happy that you'd watched it and that we could like chat about it. And thanks for inviting me to come on and chat about it even more here. I am so glad that you came by today because like, I just love talking to you in general. And so like to be able to transport our conversations into this vehicle, it just brings me so much joy. Oh yeah. Same, same. I, I, as you know, I'm a big fan of this podcast. So thank you. Um, <laughs> I appreciate your support. I love you so much. Oh my gosh. I love it. Can you please remind everyone where they can find you if they want to keep up with you online? Yeah. Um, huge departure from what we talked about. Here, yeah. but, <laughs> and in my regular life, I talk about decluttering and organizing and you can find me at tidy revival on Instagram and Facebook or at tidyrevival.com. Perfect. And if you want to keep up with us in between episodes, find us on Instagram at pop culture makes me jealous. And if you enjoyed the episode that you are listening to today and you're listening on Apple podcasts, head on over and drop us a review. Thanks for tuning in y'all.